This episode is sponsored by our friends at Fujifilm North America. Their X-Series digital cameras and lenses may just give you that creative edge you're looking for in your portraits and events. You'll find everything from 40 megapixel image quality to 40 frames per second bursts, plus unique in-camera film simulation modes and effortless usability. Click the link in the episode description to find the full range. There has never been a better time to invest in your passion, so make sure to click the link. Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast. Honestly, didn't know how to use my camera properly. I didn't know how to use it to its like full potential. Studio stuff and really technical stuff always like massively intimidated me. I mean, I used to go into camera stores and there would be some, you know, nerdy guy talking to me about ISO and F-stops and stuff like that. And I would just like have absolutely no idea what he was talking about. Like I shot on auto for a really embarrassingly long time when I started. This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Today's guest is Kate White, and I'm so happy that I had the chance to interview her for you because one thing I really love about Kate is she's super humble about her beginnings as a photographer, and it's just really refreshing to hear that someone who is as successful as Kate is also had struggles with learning the technology part of photography. Kate's fashion and beauty work is next level, and some of her work is just truly breathtaking. Her photos have been in countless magazines, and she's worked with tons of different brands, and she's just also done several different genres over the years. She's very impressive overall, and not only do you get to listen to Kate today on this episode, but she's also one of our speakers for the online Portrait Masters Conference on September 21st. Can't wait for you to hear her then, but let's now get started with Kate White. Hi, Kate. How's it going? Great. Thank you. Happy to be here. And I'm talking with you from BC, Vancouver, right? Vancouver, BC, yes. Awesome. I just moved away from Seattle back to Michigan. So you know all about the Pacific Northwest, all our rain (laughs) up here. (laughs) Oh, it's so beautiful there, but I will not miss the gray or the rain. I don't blame you. (laughs) Not that it was like that all the time, I think. (laughs) Only like 10 months of the year, maybe 11. I know, right? Oh, (laughs) All right. Well, I'm super excited to chat with you today. I follow you on Instagram and your fashion work and just your beauty photography. It's all just, it's so gorgeous. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about how you got to be where you're at today. Thank you so much. That's so nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Some of your stuff, it just like stops me in my tracks. I absolutely love it. I love that. <laughs> so I'm curious though, you know, were you always this good or were you always this successful or, or uh, actually <laughs> before we ask, I ask you that, were you always a photographer? No, actually not. I mean, I think like a lot of, you know, 
my peers, we we all sort of like got digital cameras at a certain point and and took really awful photos of our friends. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to remember some particularly cringy photo shoots in high school. But other than that, yeah, I went to school for graphic design. And while I was there, I learned how to retouch. And that was kind of like one of my first real passions. I loved retouching. I loved taking like really mediocre images that I would take to practice on and elevate them in through the power of Photoshop. So I think that was something that really helped get to where I am today. Like I really love post-production. It's one of my favorite parts of the whole process. But yeah, trained graphic designer, but always sort of had this side love of photography. Yeah, I feel like there's a really special person who loves the post-production. And when you really love it, like, I feel like you're good at it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like a weird pixel obsession. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, post-production can obviously take a photo just to a whole different level. So I love that you have that skill set, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Like, it's definitely sort of something that you can do from the comfort of home and you're really sort of, you've got your tea and you're just focused on on this one image and I love that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so you were in school for graphic design, started as a retoucher, and then did you end up working as a retoucher? I did here and there. I worked as a retoucher for a couple different photographers, but mainly focused on graphic design and photography was just something that sort of snuck in there here and there. I would do fun shoots with my friends. And at the time, a lot of my friends and a lot of my social circle were actually sort of drag queens, nightlife personalities. And and so that was like a really fun demographic to be able to hone those skills on because they were just like, you know, really out there and really sort of flamboyant, exciting. That was really fun. Oh, for sure. I can imagine. So that's where I got my start. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That would be so fun. Yeah. So you started photographing them and just like the events and stuff? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I made friends with someone who owned a nightclub and then I became sort of the regular photographer there. Probably went out a little bit too much at that time of my life. But <laughs> <laughs> we probably all have that time in our life. Yeah. <laughs> but it was definitely fun. And that's, you know, when I started uh, reaching out to local magazines and getting my work out there that way. So, okay, reaching out to local magazines. This sounds Mm -hmm. like it could be a really good marketing tool, but that sounds really intimidating to me. Like, you know, if there were a magazine that I wanted to photograph for, how would you even go about just reaching out, I guess? Honestly, like, I think from the beginning of time, I've really had no shame about just cold emailing people Mm -hmm. and asking whether... You know, I was maybe the right fit for an upcoming project or, you know, (laughs) whether some of my existing work could be featured, that kind of thing. And, you know, oftentimes you'll you'll be ignored, but sometimes you won't be. And and that's really how I got my start doing that. Okay, I like that. Like sometimes you're gonna get a no, and that's okay. Yeah, and then and then it some, is okay. Yeah, and and sometimes you're gonna get a yes, and that's amazing. Yes, yes. Like the no's get less painful as you go on. I mean, <laughs> I still get no's. <laughs> I still get no's. You know, more often than I'd maybe like to admit. But you know, you you just keep doing it, and and those yeses become bigger and bigger, and they're more exciting and more exciting. Right, right. So. Were you, you know, when you did reach out, were you just sharing like some of your portfolio through the email and just saying like, hey, this is, you know, this is me. This is what I do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just like maybe a little PDF at the time. I mean, this is we're talking about, 
you know, 2009, 2010 kind of thing. So it was a while ago, probably before <laughs> Instagram took right. off. So, you know, just little DIY portfolio kind of things. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because that is a good point. Now that we have Instagram, I don't even carry a business card anymore or like... No. Yeah. Like Sue always taught at the beginning, she calls them a cantilever. It's like a, a an accordion card fold out with, yeah. you know, different photos on it. And you can fit like eight or 10 photos on it, whatever. And I used to carry them around with me and I still stopped printing them because now it's everyone's on Instagram and I'm like oh are you on Instagram here's my work and they just can pull up my page and follow me right there and it's it's just so easy now it's so true it's so true Instagram has definitely made it so much easier and like people are so much more accessible on Instagram than they ever were you know you can find editors for magazines and you know get their attention in ways and we never used to be able to do that so that's kind of a neat advantage of this new digital world that we're living in. Yeah, for sure. Now, when you reach out to magazines now, do you still send a PDF or or are you just sharing your Instagram, your website? Uh, Yeah, it depends. I mean, I guess it depends like how I'm contacting them. If I'm contacting them on Instagram, obviously it's not necessary (laughs) for me to. (laughs) But yeah, if I'm contacting them via email, then yes, I still do have like a little PDF page of my work as well as links to my website and my Instagram, et cetera. Right, right. Okay, so I just want to back up a little bit. So you started photographing the events, drag queens, like the whole nine, and then reaching out to magazines for like, you know, did you have a portfolio of like event work or was it at that time, did you have a studio? No, no, I definitely did not have a studio back then. Any of the the work that I'd done was just probably natural light stuff with my with my friends. Yeah, and maybe some past magazine work that I'd I'd got to gain new <laughs> new contacts. But most of it was was just like fun shoots with people that I knew. Right, right. And then at what point? Because obviously now, well, from what I mean, if you shoot all natural light, I would be shocked, but <laughs> no, definitely not. It looks like at some point you've moved into you know, studio work, like obviously. Can you take us through that transition and and how that worked for you? Absolutely. Honestly, it was a really, really like embarrassingly long transition. Like I (laughs) felt like I shot for so long on just pure natural light and I honestly didn't know how to use my camera properly. I didn't know how to use it to its like full potential studio stuff and really technical stuff always like massively intimidated Mm -hmm. me. I can relate to that. Yeah, like so many of us can. I mean, I used to go into camera stores and there would be some, you know, nerdy guy talking to me about ISO and (laughs) F-stops and stuff like that. And I would just like have absolutely no idea what he was talking about. Like I shot on auto for a really embarrassingly long time when I started. I feel like that's going to be comforting for some people here, though, <laughs> because, you know, at, at the beginning, it can be really, really intimidating. I struggled with the technical part, too. I remember watching YouTube videos and, like, yeah. trying to figure out how the ISO works with f-stop with shutter speed and all of that it was it was hard for me it's like learning a totally different language. And my dad's a photographer as well. Oh, and- wow. But I mean, like, he would always just be frustrated with me, like, you know, you need to learn this properly, like, take the time. And and I kind of felt embarrassed about, like, actually pursuing that and learning those things, because I felt like I'd sort of gotten to myself where I was, you know, shooting for magazines, and I was doing some campaign work, but I really didn't fully understand how to use my camera. So eventually, you know, about five years ago, I 
quit an agency job where I was working as a graphic designer. And I made this <laughs> commitment to myself to start actually, you know, learning my craft properly. Right. Kind of going back to basics. And I mean, for a while, I still shot with like natural light and sometimes continuous lights. But And strobes really, really intimidated me. Yes, yes. Yeah, they just feel like a completely different thing. Like, it felt like sort of like a math equation that I needed to learn. Yes, totally. Yeah, like, it's just, it's terrifying. So... I mean, you're totally right when it's like a math equation because there's geometry involved because you've got angles, especially if you're bouncing the light. Absolutely. You know, in, in which direction you are pointing your lights and then figuring out how strong the light needs to be, you know, how much power... I remember shooting weddings. I always had to do off-camera flash and, you know, setting up on the dance floor and with different amounts of ambient light coming in. And I would find myself, sometimes I would just, I would guess, and it would just like, I'd nail it right away and I'd be like, oh, thank God. And then sometimes yes. it would be, I'd be like sweating, like trying to trying to figure it out, taking all these test shoots with my poor assistant standing in the middle of the dance floor, like trying to get it right, you know, and I'd just be like, oh my gosh. Oh my God, those moments when you're like pretending you're so cool and everything's under control, oh, yeah. but internally you're like dying <laughs> totally, inside. Totally, totally. So, okay, so how did you end up like mastering it? Just practice? Well, I bought like a really cheap set of strobes. Like it was like $700 for the entire kit and they were, you know, not particularly powerful. And I was still like, I think they sat in my house and I used them like with the modeling light on sometimes, but I was still really scared to even like connect my camera to them and try and use them properly. Because I feel like there's a lack sometimes in the education world of like really going back to basics. Like Sometimes when you're looking at how to learn how to use strobes, they assume a certain level of knowledge that, you know, not all of us have. (laughs) Totally, totally. It's so true. And that's one of the reasons why on Sue Bryce Education, Sue was like, we need some like basic courses. So Felix Kuhn says a lighting course. And then we have- Oh, he's so great. Yes. And then John Gringo does a like camera basics where he just walks you through step by step because you're right. I think there is the assumption that we're supposed to know how like, to use you our know camera. something. Yes, totally. <laughs> totally. So, yeah, anyway, I ended up using them. I think I just watched a million YouTube videos and and started figuring them out. I mean, we live in the Pacific Northwest. We've talked about this. It is dark and gloomy all the time. So, relying on natural light is not something that mm-hmm. is particularly practical. I mean, people do it all the time and it's great, but it's just like, it can be tough, you know, rescheduling constantly because of the weather. Yep. Yep. And I always really loved the look of studio photography. So when I finally started learning how to actually do it, it was so gratifying because it was like, this is the work that I always felt like I was meant to be doing, but I didn't know how. But yeah. So, you know, and then through that, developing your own style and, and I really never look back. And honestly, like even even with those ch- that cheap set of lights, like I remember someone saying like, "Oh god, you can't do anything with those." And I was like, "Well, actually, you know, <laughs> you can, you can." Which is funny that cheap is $700. Like that's I know. That's a significant amount of money for a lot of people, you know. It's like It is. It is. It is. But when you're talking about like studio lighting, oh, for sure. it can for go sure. up. <laughs> For sure. Pretty fast. Now I'm a diehard pro photo girl. So. Are you? T- tell me about what what do you use now? What's your, I mean, obviously pro photo, but. Yeah, I use the, the D2-1000 is my go-to light because I like to, 
capture my images at a really, really high f-stop. So I shoot constantly at like f18 to f20, which is a bit different. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't necessarily do that. So it really exposes like all of the details. So with beauty photography, I find that that's really important. Right. Interesting. So it needs to be like a mega powerful light. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Okay, so... I want to go back a little bit. When you said five years ago you quit your graphic design job, will you tell us what that was like for you? And did you feel really ready and really prepared? Or were you just like, oh, shit, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this? Or or what was that like for you? Oh, my God. I mean, I feel like we all have those moments, you know, like leaving a salaried position where you're making good money is always a really difficult decision to make. And I mean, I'd been working there for five years as well. And it was something that I was pretty comfortable doing, but it just, I just felt sort of like, you know, um, I wasn't being used to my full potential. I really wasn't. It was, it was not my passion. It was mm-hmm. not what I was meant to be doing. Like I always felt like my skills were just being underused there. So yeah, making that decision was really, really difficult. And I felt really lucky to be able to have graphic design skills to sort of fall back on. So I definitely took a you know, many graphic design jobs, freelance contract jobs to sort of bridge that gap while I transitioned to become a photographer. And I think that's definitely a useful thing (laughs) to know for sure. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I think sometimes, because we have a lot of members on SBE who are, you know, they're working a full-time job, exactly what you said, where they're like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. I just, it's not their passion. It's not what they love to do. But just quitting the job altogether is scary. Like you said, full-time income yeah. coming in with insurance and yes. you know, pension plan <laughs> and all of that. So, And I always say there's no shame in taking a part-time job or doing something on the side while you're building. Like, it's okay. It doesn't mean failure. It means you're no. being smart, <laughs> you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not, I mean, when you first start to make that decision, like, unless you've been, like, hustling on the side for years, you don't have the connections in the photography world to really, like, make a full-time gig of it immediately. I mean, if you do, that's amazing. I don't know how you did it. Tell <laughs> right. me your skills. Right, right. <laughs> But I certainly didn't. So tell me about your business at that time. Like when you felt ready to quit that job, what mm-hmm. what, like what point were you at in your business? So photography was definitely something that I just really put on the back burner. And I honestly didn't do much of it. At the time, I sort of did food blogging on the side. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I took, yeah, I know it's a bit of a random transition, but yeah, I was really into food blogging. I don't think my husband ate like a hot meal for years because I would always like <laughs> have to take a photo of it at like 18 different angles. You're like, don't touch it until I get the I right know. shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I had this little Instagram with, you know, 10K followers at the time. And it was like mostly just about food And so when I quit my agency job, I transitioned into doing social media content for food brands. And I had some contacts that I'd made in my agency world that were sort of working with bigger food brands. Like I ended up working with Ferrero Rocher and Nutella for a while. And it was just like, how weird, how weird is life that I'm like being paid to pipe a penguin onto a piece of toast? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like out of Nutella, like so strange. Anyway, so I, I, I did about a year and a half of social media content for Ferrero Rocher, which was 
a pretty cool gig. And that was definitely sort of like my bridge job before becoming like a commercial beauty photographer. Wow. And you said you had some contacts from the agency. Is that from the graphic design agency? Yeah, yeah. Like we all sort of dispersed and ended up at different places as well. And, you know, some of those places were other agencies that had really great like the Ferrero Rocher job, for example, like my art director from my agency job ended up working there and she recommended me. So, you know, things like that, like networking is so important in mm-hmm. this industry. And and that's kind of what I was getting at is, is even if you're not networking like to with other photographers or in the photography world, there's always a connection that can be made. Always. Always, always. And I think that's why it's one of the most important reasons that you're never burning bridges, you're always tre- treating people respectfully yes. and doing your best work because you never know who you're going to no. run into down, <laughs> down the line. Exactly, exactly. Actually, in Ashley Taylor, she's episode number six, she talks about how when she was transitioning from weddings to portraits, like you didn't have to like murder your wedding business and like like end it horribly in order to start something new. And Sue says that all the time. No. Whatever you're ending and whatever job you're leaving, like end it with love, end it with great relationships and great energy because you never know how that's going to come back absolutely. to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, a lot of those agency people, I mean, it's not really a world that I have too much to do with anymore. Like I'm not really doing, I mean, every once in a while for a friend, I'll do like a graphic design project, but I'm not, that's not my life anymore. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those people have been really, really helpful to me in terms of like making leaps in my photography career. Cause you, you also never know, you know, who has a side project or who has a like different interests in different fields or different connections. Right, right. Absolutely. Okay, so then at what point did you actually get a studio and how did you find it? So I actually still shoot from my home studio because oh, we live nice. in, yeah, we live in like a live work loft situation. We've got 20 foot ceilings. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty great or twenty foot windows actually, so it's a yeah. it's a pretty great space. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay, so you're in a live workspace. So is it completely separate your working area? You know where you shoot from where you guys actually live? Not particularly. No, my husband and I have like a really quick transition mode. I think we've got it down to like four minutes and thirty nice. seconds or something. Yeah. <laughs> We can convert it really fast. I mean, Vancouver rent is insane and right, the real estate right. up here is nuts. So we um, make the use of the space that we have for sure. And I mean, doing beauty, I don't need a lot of space either, which is great. Right, right. Yeah. So it's not like if you're doing full fashion editorial spreads. And if I am doing something, then there's lots of spaces available to rent in the city, which is kind of nice. Oh, yeah, that is nice. That is nice. When when I lived in Seattle, two of my, I think, out of my six studios that I had that I just kind of jumped from Mm -hmm. were live workspaces. And they were both really amazing. The one, I didn't live there, though. I shared it with someone to offset the cost of rent, because just like Vancouver, Seattle rent is insane. Yes. And there was particularly one live workspace. It was a 20-foot ceiling to floor windows. And I loved it. I loved it so much. But as I was doing my budget, I'm like, you know, and at the time, we still rented our house. And, and yeah. between our, our house rent and our studio rent, I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. I cannot afford yeah. this. And so I ended up, you know, moving into a smaller space which ended up working out great. It you know it was just a tiny little like three hundred fifty square foot, but yeah, those live work windows. Oh my gosh, so amazing. Uh, I know, I know, I love them. We're really lucky. So if I'm looking on your Instagram, 
are most of these photos that I'm looking at done in your home studio? Yeah, most of them, for sure. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I I think that's so important for people to hear that you can be this incredibly successful photographer, commercial fashion photographer, out of your home. I mean— You can, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You really, really don't need a huge amount of space. You know, light is important. It's important to have good light. If you're not using strobes, I mean, I alternate. The light in my house is really great, so— I definitely make use of it when when I can, but right, right. honestly, not a lot of space needed. And if you can find those spaces that are sort of rentable and you can get to know them in your city, then those are great for bigger commercial clients. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, speaking of commercial clients, I know it's so different from city to city and different, even country to country and metropolitan areas, but how do you charge Like, do you do it by the day or by the photo or how does that work? That's definitely like a difficult one for sure because the markets are all so insanely different Mm -hmm. and you really have to do that research and find, you know, what your market will support, what your peers are charging. You don't want to like come in and undercut everyone, you know, your experience plays into it as well. But you always have to make sure that you're charging, I mean... I know a lot of people only do full day rates and I offer a half day rate just because a lot of my clients are, you know, smaller in Vancouver. We don't have a lot of like huge headquarters here. So yeah, I will always charge a full day rate or a half day rate, but then I never include any edits in those rates. Ah, okay. So my rate is literally just my time photographing. And then my the editing will always be different. And also, you know, it kind of depends like what you're editing as well. If we're just doing further away fashion that doesn't require so much time, it's going to be less than if you're doing beauty because beauty is so time consuming for sure. Right. And I mean, you always have to make sure that you're really sort of taking into account all of your different expenses throughout the day. Like, I mean, you've got to add on if you need assistance, you've got to charge for like scouting days. Do you need a Digitech? Uh, All of these things, like there's location fees. Do you need to charge for like lighting and gear rental? All of those things are things that you need to sort of take into account when you're working out budgets for clients. Right. That's a really good point. Because I think sometimes people don't do that. They don't sit down and look at what is the cost? What is the cost if they're doing their own retouching? What is the cost of, like you said, the assistant? Any of those little extra pieces really do add up. For sure, for sure. Now, one thing you said is is when it comes to commercial, you have to kind of pay attention to what your peers are doing, that sort of thing. That feels a little bit different than like portraits because, you know, there are such a wide range of what different people charge for portraits. And some people, a lot of people, unfortunately, are so undercharging that we encourage people to just not even pay attention to what other people are charging and charge what they're worth. That's fair. Yeah. But I can see how in the commercial world, it would be a little bit different because you're trying to make a name for yourself within these companies. And if you get this sort of bad reputation for being the one that like came in and you know what I mean? Like (laughs) took everyone else out or whatever. I can see how that would be a little bit different because there's only so many companies. There's only so many corporations within your small area where we have millions of people. Well, not where I live. I live in a town with 3,000 people, but in where my studio is, you know. So I can see why that would be a little bit different. Yeah, that makes sense as well. It's, as you said, you don't want to be undercutting people. You don't want to be sort of devaluing the industry and you want to be competitive. So you do have to sort of like 
talk to people and, you know, find insiders. Right, right. <laughs> oftentimes, oftentimes, like even companies will sort of tell you what other people are charging as well. So yeah, it's good to keep those in mind. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you want to book it, you know, not just the undercutting, but if you come in way over what everyone way else is charging. yeah. Yeah, that's not going to exactly. work out either. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think you can get to a point can anyone get to a point where they're just so wanted that it doesn't matter what they charge? Like Anna Leibovitz or something? Like, you know. Hell yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, I guess it, it sort of can happen, especially with portraits or whatever, you know, when it's not so much commercial. There have been times when people have reached out and said, like, you know, how much do you charge? Whatever. I send them my info and they're like, oh my, I can't just cannot afford this. Like, this is expensive. And I'm like, I'm here if you change your mind. Oh, yeah. You know, I totally get it, whatever. And then they come back one, two, three years later and they're like, I just had a horrible experience with someone who was much cheaper and I'm ready now. You know, so it's like, yeah, I guess you yeah, never know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's so true. It's it's also just like one of those things that you get used to hearing and you have to stop taking it personally too, you know, like at the beginning of your career, like you'll be too expensive for so many people. I mean, you're, you'll be too expensive for people if you're charging like 250 bucks. Right, so. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's just like those just are not your clients. Absolutely. Okay, so you do the day rate and then as for the separate images that they purchase are you just going through them together are you retouching them all and then sending them over or how does that work generally I will give them a contact sheet of the very best images from that day and they'll pick from them but I will always explain you know that more work goes into sort of closer up the closer up the image is the more expensive it's going to be right okay okay and then how many I don't know if there's an average or if it depends on, you know, per shoot, how many photos do you usually show or take? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a difficult one because it's so different from client to client. But I mean, I would say I average take about 700 photos. 700, wow. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It really depends on the project and how many they want. If it's e-commerce, if it's you know, just a, a limited campaign kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely different from project to project. Right. How are most people finding you? Like, how do you get into, you know, Cosmo and Elle magazine? Like, how, how are they finding you? Definitely, like, word of mouth. I mean, those things happen because... I think one thing that I've I've found important in my creative projects is working with like up and coming actors. Mm-hmm. So I mean that was something that happened because I've been working with you know people who are Vancouver's a big acting city. They film a lot here, so there's always actors coming in and out of town. And so often you know doing a creative with someone who you think like potentially has a great career ahead of them. Sometimes things like that can pan out. Just networking, for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I noticed on your website that you photographed Pamela Anderson. How did that happen? (laughs) Is she Canadian, right? She is Canadian. She's actually from, because I grew up on Vancouver Island, which is the same island that she grew up on. And yeah, so she's been spending a lot of time back in Vancouver. And yeah, that was just such, I got a call one day And Pam wanted to shoot with me, and I just thought it was the craziest thing. Wow. You're like, yes. (laughs) I know. I was like, oh my God, clear my schedule. (laughs) This is crazy. Well, you know, it's funny. This is the second time that we've talked about Pamela Anderson on this podcast because Tristan Smith, who's another, I know you're speaking at the Portrait Masters Conference, which I cannot wait for. And 
Trista Smith is another one of our speakers, and Pamela wore one of Trista's dress in a photo shoot in like this, you know, this that big was my photo shoot. <gasps> that was you. Oh my gosh, that no was way. me. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, Trista and I go back a long way, and what a small world. I know, I know. So anyway, when I was asked to shoot Pam, we were sort of like trying to figure out how to style it. We weren't given a lot of direction. It was honestly fairly opaque. Like, we weren't really sure what was happening. We were trying to plan for, like, any eventuality. (laughs) Right. And so I told Trista about this. It was happening in a week. And she was like, oh, my God, let me make a dress. And I was like, I cannot guarantee she'll wear it. Like, I have no idea. I can't you know. Right, right. You're like, we can try, but yeah. We can try. I can sneak it into the the styling rolling rack, but I just cannot promise that she'll put it on. But she did. And it was just like, I don't know. I think it was the first outfit she put on. I mean, we waited for her to do hair and makeup. It was quite a lot of waiting around. We really weren't sure what to, what to expect. And, right. you know, when she came out, it was like, oh my goodness. I just have never worked with someone who's so good at posing. <laughs> oh, I bet. She has those Like, moves. she's, like, the best like, in the business. Yes, I can see why. She just has that, like, I don't know. She just has, like, the it factor when it comes to, like, sexiness totally. and beauty and just moving. And well, I pretend like I know Pamela. You know what I mean? <laughs> just from what I've seen, no. like, in movies and stuff. It's like. I know. It was definitely, like, an experience to remember. And I feel like it was one of those things where I, like, tried to plan so much in my mind what I was going to do. But then I just had to sort of throw it all away and just, like, move as quickly as possible in order to catch up with her. But, yeah, some of those photos with the reclamation dress are my favorites. That was really fun. Yeah, very, very cool. (laughs) So, you know, I'm curious, did you ever, you know, just throughout your whole business building process, did you ever do free shoots or offer to do things for free? I think we all did. I mean, a lot of the magazines that I did were free. I think there's value in doing free work in certain circumstances, Mm -hmm. but you just have to be careful with it. You know, like learning to say no is just like one of those things that has come (laughs) with a lot of practice. Like I've literally like role played with friends, like (laughs) saying no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an important skill to have. It is. And as a photographer, like we are asked constantly to do things for free and, and it's about recognizing You know, when someone's really going to benefit from your work and you're not, (laughs) those generally aren't the times to do free shoots. But, you know, sometimes there are times when I find it beneficial or if there's someone that I really want to photograph, for example, I'll still do some free work for sure. Yeah, you know, I did some as well. And and it was one of those, well, especially when I was building my portfolio, I think that's really important that you know, sometimes you just have to do it and it's okay because you need those marketing mm-hmm. materials. And, and, and even now on occasion, well, I always do some sort of like charity project or something every year that of course is going to be free. And, you know, if I see someone that I know will help benefit my business, whether they are just someone who I know will shout from the rooftops about me on their social media yeah. or whatever, like I have no problem. I, you know, I do a couple free shoots every year, either for fun or because I know it's going to benefit me somehow or because I want to treat yeah. that person. And it always ends up working out really well. Well, not always, but I guess there's been a few that I'm like, oh, that was, you know, but <laughs> you know, in the ones. end, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you said in the beginning you were reaching out to local magazines and that sort of thing. Was that something that you were offering 
you know, for free at that time or were you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think those were things that I, I felt that would maybe sort of benefit my career. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that shooting magazines was something that really, like the exposure wasn't necessarily great. But at the same time, I met a lot of interesting people and a lot of people that I was, you know, maybe had other projects on the go that they required like a paid photographer for. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I think it helped in that way. And I think it was just also part of a learning experience, you know, like probably now I wouldn't do the same thing, but Mm -hmm. at the time I had no portfolio and it's kind of great to have, you know, magazine covers in your portfolio, regardless of whether they were paid or not. Right, right. Yeah. You know, you you have this really sort of like, and I don't know you personally, obviously, but you just have this kind of like chill vibe to you. Like, you know, is that how you operate in general? Or are you ever like freaking out? Like as you're photographing Pamela, for example, were you f- thinking like, you Oh know my God, I, mean? I think I definitely freaked out a little bit, <laughs> but I laugh a lot. She loved that. I laughed a lot. Like I just, I think when I get like stressed, I just laugh and mm-hmm, I just like mm-hmm. was having, I think I, you know, I appear to be having a good time, even though I'm internally <laughs> screaming. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's a good, you know, it's it's a good way to cover up if you're stressed out or whatever. If you're you know? stressed out. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that we have to do as photographers. It's like, you know, jump into the deep end every once in a while and bite off things that are just way more than we can chew. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems like that's how you grow. Yes, those are the important growth moments. Like I've definitely, you know, we talked about when I I shot on auto back in the day and I didn't really know what I was doing. And I mean, I booked campaigns back then when I probably shouldn't have booked them and they were terrifying, but I somehow made it through. And, you know, as long as it's not like someone's wedding that you may be going to mess up (laughs) forever. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I think we just have to take those risks and we have to, you know, take those jobs that we're maybe just slightly underqualified for because those are really the way that you just push through and get to the next level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really agree with that. Because if we don't, if we're always just stuck in our comfort zone, I just, I feel like we never truly get to that next level. No. Even if it's just like raising your prices or, you know, booking a high-end client that makes you nervous or something. If you never take that risk, then like, how do you ever like, you know? Totally. Yeah. Great advice. (laughs) Well, I'm super excited to hear you speak at the Portrait Masters. And I'm wondering if you can kind of give us just a little teaser about what you're going to be talking about. Ah, I'm so excited as well. So I talk a little bit about my background and sort of a little bit of what we talked about of how I got into beauty photography. But then we go into detail on specifically sort of makeup for beauty photography, which I think is really important. Mm I was hesitant to to bring it up because I was like, does it have to do with photography, you know? like, But I really do feel like it does. It's a very important component, you know, styling, makeup. But then we also go into the studio, which is my favorite part, obviously. And I show you a few of my favorite light setups. And then we just do like a brief overview of my retouching process, which obviously takes a heck of a lot longer than the 10 minutes that I allotted to it right, in the right. talk. But uh, yeah, no, I'm really excited. It's kind of like a just a brief overview of my entire process. That's cool. So we're going to get a peek into your studio and just how you do everything, basically. Absolutely. Yes. Ooh, yes. I'm excited for that because, <laughs> and, and and again, I know I keep going back to your Instagram, but I just really love it. And the makeup is, it's unique. Some of them are really natural. Some of them are really dramatic. 
But it mm-hmm. plays into, like, you have this photograph of this black woman with this, like, it's like a teal eyeshadow on her. And she's oh, yeah. so beautiful. And that eyeshadow just brings the photo to uh, just to another level. And just, like, the shining gloss on her lips, like, I think it's a way to elevate a photo, you know, even more than than just what it was without the makeup, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think makeup is something that will really make or break your photos if you're doing beauty specifically. I mean, I generally feel like in general, makeup can be um, a difficult, <laughs> if you have a makeup artist that's just not on the same wavelength, that can be really challenging. So really finding the people, the talent in your community that are really aligned with your views in terms of your aesthetic of beauty is Mm -hmm. incredibly important. And so, like, I've been really lucky to find... I mean, Vancouver, a lot of the makeup artists here, I mean, they're great, but a lot of them do it for, you know, proms and weddings Mm -hmm. and graduations and that kind of thing. And those just... It's not really what I'm looking for. It's a whole different ballgame. Well, it seems, too, like... They have to have elevated skills. Like, you have to know how to do makeup on every skin color properly. Totally. So that, you know, I know they're models or whatever, but you need to do them justice with makeup. Absolutely. And, and lighting as well. So it's I do think makeup is extremely important. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm excited to, to get a glimpse into your studio and watch you retouch, too. <laughs> and just, oh, it's going to be so great. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so excited, too. It's so nice to have this to look forward to in an otherwise rather bleak year. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, my gosh. Seriously, oh, what a crazy year it has been. Okay, so you are going to be on September 21st at 3 p.m. Pacific time yes. for the conference. Yes, can't wait. Awesome. I will be there. I'm, I'm actually co-hosting with Sue, so I'll oh, be that's so exciting. in and out of it. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be a blast for sure. Well, I do have a couple more questions for you. If you don't mind my asking, I always ask the same questions to all of my guests. Totally. The first one is, what's something you can't live without when you're doing a photo shoot? <laughs> my camera. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Besides, actually, what do you shoot with? A Canon 5D Mark IV, but I'm really excited for the R5. Oh, I can't nice. wait to get my hands on it. <laughs> nice. I shoot with the Mark IV, too. Do you? Do you? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a workhorse. Yeah, I love it. I do love, I love it. it. I was trying to think of this, actually. You know, I, I think like a rapport with my subject is something that I really can't live without. Mm-hmm. You know, just like getting to know them a little bit and establishing some kind of relationship is is very important to me. Yeah, for sure. I love that answer. And it's very, very true. Okay, number two, how do you spend your time when you're not working? I'm a bit of a bird nerd. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, I just like, I love nature so much. And especially like during the quarantine, like all of this, I've really made sure to make a lot of time to get out in nature. I love bird watching. I love... I actually photographed a lot of like random little creatures throughout this time as well when we weren't allowed to photograph people. Yeah, yeah. So that was really fun. Kind of combines my two loves. But yeah, nature definitely is a huge passion for me. Yeah, very cool. Cooking too. <laughs> yeah, do you still take photos of all your food? No, no, I've kind of like gotten over that. Yeah. <laughs> Spending like two hours on an avocado rose before eating it, it's just not really appealing to me anymore. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, number three, what's your favorite inspirational quote? 
Okay, so this is from a fellow Canadian, Wayne Gretzky, and it is <gasps> Miss Wayne Gretzky, the hockey <laughs> Wayne Gretzky. player. Mm-hmm. I know it's a sports quote, but it I think it's super relevant to photography and just life in general. And that is, you miss one hundred percent of the shots that you do not take. Yes. Because yes. I think it's just like, I mean, obviously it makes sense for photography, but it makes sense for, you know, asking for things. You make sense for, you know, pursuing opportunities as well. Like if you don't make those emails, if you don't pursue things that maybe you're <laughs> slightly unqualified for, you will not get them. So be shameless, take all of those chances and just go for it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, and it goes back to what we were just talking about before. Yeah, if you don't try yeah. it, if you don't take the risk. Exactly. Yeah, very cool. Seattle's getting a hockey team. I just moved away, but they're getting oh, a hockey crazy. team. That's crazy. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't get to be there for the hockey game. <laughs> that's all right. I have the Red Wings. Hopefully they'll get better here soon. Yeah. had a good run for a while, and then it kind of went to the dumps, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> Number four, what would you say to people who are just getting started? Honestly, like, I think experimenting as much as possible with different genres is really important. I mean, I've done drag queens, I've done food, you know, really finding what it is that you're most passionate about is incredibly important. And also networking and just making friends with other photographers, because I really feel like that's when my career started to really take off. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, when I had those connections that I could go to and ask questions when I needed them. I needed answers from people who were experiencing the same things. I think that's that's something that I wish I'd done sooner. Right, right. Yeah, good advice for sure. <laughs> and then what about online? Where can we find you if people are looking for you? Ah, yes. You can find me on Instagram at Kate White Photo, and that's white with a Y. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, and I also have a Facebook group called Shooting Beauty with Kate White. Oh, wonderful. And then we'll also see you on September 21st at yes, 3 p.m. Pacific time. So, yeah, very excited for that. Hopefully everyone will tune in. And, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Thank you so much again just for sharing everything with us and joining us. And I will talk to you on the 21st. Can't wait. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kate. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today to the Portrait System Podcast. If you like what you heard, we would really love for you to leave us a five-star review either on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And I really, really want to encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com. Over there, you can find all of the education you need to become a successful photographer. It's only $35, and there are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 12-week startup program that I love, and there are posing downloads, lighting downloads, I mean truly everything to help make you not only a better photographer, but to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com. It's time for me to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Fujifilm North America. If you haven't experienced portraits and wedding scenes created on the large format GFX system digital camera sensor, you are missing out. Along with up to 102 megapixel resolution, you'll find rich colors and gorgeous in-camera looks. There's also AI-driven subject detection and 8 frames per second bursts inside the compact GFX100 digital camera. Hit the link in this episode's description to view the products. It's time to dream big in your creative process.